This is Edward Mazur, President Emeritus of the City Club of Chicago. Our program today was a very stimulating panel discussion featuring Aaron Alleman of the Chicago Metropolitan Area Planning Consortium, Jackie Grimshaw of the Center for Technology and Innovation, State Representative Eva Dina Delgado, who represents the northwest side of the city of Chicago, and Leanne Redden, the Executive Director of the RTA. The theme of the program was Transit is the Answer. The panelists all directed their remarks to the most urgent, urgent challenges facing Chicago and the metropolitan region. They commented on a program that the General Assembly will be looking at in the coming 2023 legislative session that should be encompassing in nature to provide safe, reliable, accessible public transportation that will connect people to opportunity, that will advance equity, and combat climate changes. They also talked about the need for additional funding for transit operations, which is set to hit a funding cliff in 2026 that cannot be solved by raising fares or cutting services. They talked about the need to share information between the RTA, the CTA, PACE, and other challenges that affect transit. They will be seeking funding to pilot an expanded regional free or reduced fare program available to people who are experiencing low incomes, the essential workers who must take public transit in order to get to work. All the panelists concluded that 25% of the people who used to use transit are working from home on any given day. 60% of the jobs in the Chicago region cannot be done from home. So there's a tremendous need for transit to keep operating efficiently and effectively. And there will be a need to find equity in funding between public transit and highways. Our moderator today is Mr. H.G. Chazell. H.G. Chazell is the founder and CEO of Advanced Energy Group, a competitive stakeholder mobilization platform for leaders and organizations committed to systemic change on climate, health, and equity at the city and regional level, serving more than 50 million people and has sponsored over 50 companies, utilities, and organizations. AEG supports public and private leaders from the Caribbean, the Mayor's Office of Boston, Cambridge, Chicago, New York City, and Washington, D.C., who understand the systemic change is not possible without effective, inclusive collaboration. In March 2021, H.G. received the President's Award for Excellence in Leadership from the National Society of Black Engineers, Boston Professionals. I'm going to ask H.G., along with Aaron Ailman, um, Representative Eva Dina Delgado, Jackie Grimshaw and Leanne Redden to make their way to the podium. And let's get this transportation discussion started. All right. Well, good afternoon. Uh, very grateful for the opportunity to be with you today and our esteemed panel. One thing I've learned about moderating panels 
or workshops is that it's all fun and games until you mess up on time arrivals and departures. <laughs> so I appreciate Jackie's uh Clearly, you know how to make sure we stay on tack. We have a lot to cover. We have an extraordinary panel. Uh, I certainly don't want to stand in the way of the discussion or remarks of our panelists. Uh, I did want to take a moment and just share my appreciation for being here and maybe share a quick story about how it happened for me because Chicago is uh, special to me in terms of the work I do. So in 2016, I started a company, Advanced Energy Group, I would say the easiest thing to do is just go to LinkedIn and look for it, and you'll see the work we do. But essentially, it started from a conversation with Chris Wheat. Does anybody, does that name Chris Wheat sound familiar to anybody in the room? Yes. Uh, it was a fundamentally important conversation for me. At that time, back when I spoke with him, uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel had decided to be all in on the Paris Climate Accord. And the moment was, how do we com communicate the fact that we are in on these important commitments regarding climate, health, and equity. And from my co conversation with Chris, what he told me that I'll never forget is that at the public level, the city level, we make promises that we know we can't, as an organization, deliver. But we still need to make the promise. We still need to make a stand for a future that we know is important, that affects the lives of thousands, if not millions, of people. But we are not going to be the ones to deliver that future. And when he told me that, I was like, uh-oh, so who delivers the future? The promise. He said, well, that is up to the stakeholders. And I looked around and I saw the ways we've been approaching stakeholder engagement. And I said to myself, there is no way that given the way we approach stakeholder engagement today, we are going to deliver on these bold, needed promises regarding climate, health, and equity. And the promises keep stacking up, right? Whether you're following what's happened at COP27 or the promises happening from different cities, we're doing a really good job at making bold promises. The question is, are we creating the corresponding arena for stakeholder engagement to deliver on them? I would say we're not there yet. For today... The hard work was getting you in this room. And for everyone who had a role in you being here, from the sponsors to Jackie to City Club, that is hard work for you to make the time to be in this room. But that hard work is only the opportunity to begin the important work. The important work starts now, making most of our time together to do something meaningful and impactful. Because we're all here in the room together. What do we do with this moment is what really matters. So today we're going to talk about the issue of transit fare recovery. Uh, this is something that touches, as you know more than I do, millions of people. It affects their lives. This is a critical discussion to get into, and I invite you to use this time to really dig into the issue and ask yourself if we committed ourselves in a year to do something significant on this issue based on our discussion today, what would that be? So think in terms of results and outcomes for today. That would be my invitation to you. Uh, again, if you want to know more about our work, I don't want to spend time on it. Just go to LinkedIn and look at what we do. We're quarterly here in Chicago. We have some amazing partners, including Shed Aquarium, CMAP, WSP, many others, Cook County, etc. cetera. Uh, but today we're going to focus on transit, on what we can do. So to frame our discussion today, 
We know that the pandemic reinforced transit's value as a public service. It highlighted the role transit plays regarding essential workers, how it provided them a pathway to get to where they needed to go affordably. We can see how transit's value extends beyond the limits we had in our mind originally. The transportation sector today, it's important to remember, remains the largest source of emissions in Illinois. It can help reduce congestion and keep cars off the roads and mitigate the impacts of climate change and greenhouse emissions. Those are all the promises of transit. Yet, transit faces an alarming funding crisis. You've seen the headlines. Transit agencies across the country are facing a fiscal cliff. Emergency funding support will expire and ridership is low. Agencies are considering reductions in service and staffing to address this. Closer to home here, the region's transit agencies, CTA, Metro, PACE, etc., are bracing for an expected budget shortfall of $730 million by 2026. So why are we here? Why should we care? And what can we do together to make an impact? That's what I hope we will explore in more detail together. By illuminating these issues, we hope to learn together how can we better work together? How can we create more systemic change with our transit services so that they can thrive well into the future? Uh, just briefly before coming up, my work is at this intersection of climate, health, and equity around, especially with electricity and how are we going to electrify everything to decarbonize. And one metric that stands out to me is the concept of energy cost burden. When we electrify everything, that is going to show up on someone's bill, all of our bills, frankly. <laughs> Transit can play an incredible role in mitigating that forecasted energy cost burden from electrifying transit in ways that perhaps we don't need to if we get transit right. It takes a lot more substations that need to be built if we all are driving electric cars individually than if we are working together. And if we found inflation to be difficult over the past months, that's nothing compared to the costs that are expected from major cities regarding electrification of buildings and transportation. So we have a lot to discuss and get out and talk about today. Let's jump in right off um, with the panelists. I'm going to start off with uh, Ivadina Delgada. She is going to talk about the legislation that you successfully introduced and passed this summer regarding the study on requiring a study on transit, how it's funded, included possible changes to the fare box recovery ratio, and other revenues. RTA and CMAP will have to submit a report to the Illinois General Assembly by January 2024. Would you please share with this group with an introduction the story about why this was important to you for this legislation to come into being and what is motivating you to lead this forward? Absolutely. All right. Can, can you all hear me? Um, good afternoon. I'm Evadina Delgado. I'm a state representative. I represent the northwest side of the city of Chicago. Uh, I go all the way from Wicker Park out to the border of the city and Montclair and Belmont Craig. And so uh, that just gives you an idea of where I'm coming from and the folks who I'm representing. Um, 
I have been dreaming of a bill like this since around 2011. Um, and yes, I'm one of those people that dreams of transit when I'm, when I'm asleep. Um, I spent a lot of time uh, before I became a state rep working in transit. I, was a, a, I worked for the CTA for a number of years um, and learned a lot about how transit is funded in northeastern Illinois specifically. Um, and it's kind of this Byzantine structure of, of formulas on top of formulas based on things that no longer really exist anymore. And, and why do we continue funding something as essential as transit that way? Um, that, was, that was what kind of was in the back of my mind for a number of years. And then finally, I was in a position where I could do something about it. Um, so having lots of conversations with folks, and I said, this is something that can't just be solved by me passing a bill in one year. I think this is something that needs a full-on review. We need to take a look at what's the history? Why does it work this way? How is it best to kind of deconstruct how we fund transit? And how do we make it more efficient and more effective? And how do we serve the people who ride? And how do we draw more people in to ride more often? Um, so that's the dream, right? <laughs> why, why I thought CMAP was the right entity to do it, um, it's because of what their mission is, right, and what the vision is. And, and the job is to uh, take a look at the entire region and say, how do we best serve the region? How do we best serve the people who live here? Um, and so that's really what brought me to the legislation, um, and I'm really looking forward to what happens in the next year. I know that, that RTA is also very involved in this conversation um, and see what it is that, that we can come up with. And what I hope and what I hope to see um, is something that looks very different from what we have today, um, something that kind of reimagines uh, what transit service is in northeastern Illinois. I mean, I... I'm sure that most of you probably drove here today um, or drove to this area. Uh, <laughs> um, and I'm sure that all of you are living in this, this new world where traffic is everywhere all the time. Um, there's not a time in which you are not in the car and you are not surrounded by traffic. And I believe that the reason that that is is because people have not come back to transit. Um, and there's lots of reasons why people have chosen not, not to come back to transit. But my hope someday in the future is that transit becomes the first choice for people versus the second or third or last. I want to see folks saying, today I'm going to jump on the bus because it's a better option for me for any all the reasons. Um, and less people in their cars means less congestion in this area. And I could go on and start talking about how Illinois is the crossroads of the country. Um, and the more congestion that we have here, the more we're impacting the economic development of the entire state because folks will now reroute and go to different places and other states are building lots of infrastructure, infrastructure that's going to be bringing those folks into the area. I mean, I could go on for hours. I'm a big geek when it comes to these things. Um, but this is kind of like the first tiny baby step <laughs> to get us to start to reimagine what we see. And Evadina, what do you see as essential ingredients to a transformative report? Um, I think a lot about how all of these structures were built back in the 80s, right? Um, and I think a lot of them were built on very parochial interests, 
right? Um, and I think one way that we can really start to reimagine the most important thing is to put the person at the center of it um, versus the the county <laughs> or the municipality or um, these particular political interests that may exist. Um, I think the most important thing that we can do is to say what's the best thing for the people who live here. Um, and that, to me, is the ingredient that may have been missing um, from conversations about this in the past. Um, and I think it, it would be kind of revolutionary <laughs> to look at it that way. Thank you. Next, we're going to go to you, Leanne Redden. Leanne Redden is the Executive Director of Regional Transit Authority, RTA. And I thought I'd come to you next with some questions just to start to frame out our discussion today. Would you please walk us through the fare box recovery ratio and why was it put in place to begin with? I can do... I let me pull that a little closer. I can do that. And, um, but before I just quickly give that kind of detailed, weedy, somewhat definition, just to sort of um, build off what Everdina was just, Representative Delgado was saying, <laughs> sorry, uh, we go way back from the CTA, when she was at from CTA days, um, that, you know, that this region, we are facing a myriad of challenges. And, and when I say we, I don't mean just the transit system, I mean our region, all of you sitting in this room. And not to steal the title of our plan, but transit is the answer and is a key component of all the solutions. And I'm excited to hear about sort of, you know, Transit becomes the first choice and people at its centre because that's really one of the core tenets of the plan that we just really happened to just release yesterday and it was really kind of this co-creation that um, came together from people across the region, businesses, electeds, other policy people coming together and telling us what they wanted to see from the public transportation system. So that... With that sort of framing, um, the fare box recovery ratio is a statutory requirement that we have in the transit system that essentially, just to sort of break it down, it means that uh, 50% of the operating costs of the transit system across the region has to um, be met by fares. So fares have to generate 50% of the operating, ex uh, cover 50% of the operating expenses. And fundamentally, that becomes a big challenge. Uh, we statutorily have to meet that. Um, and, but it is very limiting in, to, in what we do. Uh, what this really translates to is for us in our region, uh, fares have become sort of an unsustainable, we're too reliant on fare revenue and it has become an unsustainable model that we cannot support going forward. And the bottom line is we need to be looking at diversifying the funding options to support the transit system so we can ensure that we have a viable and sustainable transit system for this future that I think many of us are all talking about. It's not just about COVID recovery. It's about a future for our region that's centered on equity, that's centered on uh, growing the region's economy and ensuring that we can really begin to climb, uh, combat climate change. So that's really fundamentally where we're at. The fare box recovery ratio does a couple of other things to sort of really limit what the three operators can actually do, right? Because they have to sort of generate this amount of fare revenue, it limits their ability to try things in terms of different service and fare products. So one of the things we did, we've actually got a waiver on that requirement right now, which has allowed the three operators to start demoing and testing different fare products, thinking about interoperability, thinking about transfers, so we can actually provide more seamless, more direct, more accessible, and in some, some markets, cheaper 
um, fares and, and opportunities to provide people access to the transit system. So the fare box recovery ratio is very limiting in that space. It, it also then starts to limit what they can do in the three operators can do in terms of their operations. So sort of moving past that is a critically important thing. Just to give some context, the fare box recovery ratio for us, as I said, is 50%. Uh, Los Angeles, uh, New York are around about the 20% recovery ratio. So we've got this extra burden on top of us that really sort of, again, as I said, limits and challenges us in terms of the, the things that we can do. Um, and I just want to sort of add one additional point, though. The, 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 the other side to this coin um, is that even eliminating the fare box recovery ratio does nothing, though, to solve the fiscal gap that we have. In, in, on one side, you could say it exacerbates the problem, but I think that that's the wrong way of looking at it. We should be doubling down and making sure that we are centering people in the transit system and providing services and accessibility that they need. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's one thing to sort of move, and I, I will say that the plan that we've recommended fundamentally, actually one of the key things and one of our key goals is to actually eliminate the fare box recovery ratio and focus ourselves on providing services services that are more driven by equity and accessibility mm -hmm. as opposed to driving just that fair revenue. But to do that, we have to talk and the region has to have a conversation about how do we diversify those funding resources. Mm, that's a great context for this discussion. Thank you. Uh, I think just to follow on and pro provide more context there, I'm going to go to you, Erin Alleman. Erin Alleman is the Executive Director of FRCMAP, uh, the Chicago Metropolitan Agency for Planning. Uh, Let's go and build on that framework that was just presented. Um, how has transit use changed in the last few years, and, and how well can we use the influx of federal and state transportation dollars to address these new transportation challenges, start to actualize the vision uh, that Leanne is putting on the table for where this could go? How do you see that pathway forward? Well, let me just start with what's changed, right? A lot. I think a lot of us aren't going to the places that we used to go on a daily basis. Just, And I don't think we expect ourselves to go back to sort of the way things were. And so when we talk about what that future is going to look like, it's less of getting back to 2019 and really thinking about what's our new baseline here uh, across our region and how can we use that to be economically competitive here. So all of our transit agencies are still seeing numbers that are low, ridership numbers that are lower than 2019 numbers, but the buses have been more resilient and the bus network can be more resilient because it's mo mobile, right? You can sort of move the bus around. You can't pick up the rails and move them around. But I think where CMAP comes into play is that it's not just about sort of the transit system by itself. It's what it's connected to. And I think we are seeing, and I think many of you are experiencing this, right? Congestion everywhere, all times of day. It's completely unpredictable. We're seeing small package delivery trucks. Um, they're their uh, vehicle miles traveled are up 22% over 2019 numbers. You're continuing to get your goods at home. You're getting them delivered to your doorstop. We like that. We're not going to stop doing that probably anytime soon. Um, but also, we don't have those peaks and valleys in the AM and the PM, right? So it's spread out. People are moving throughout the day. And I think in some parts of our region, we're expecting that maybe 25% of people will be working from home on any given day. 
today. Might be a little higher in some places, but I think what I keep coming back to is that that's white-collar jobs. And our region, with a diverse economy that we have, with our manufacturing, with our healthcare and logistics, you know, the industries that we have here necessitate people go to work. And so 60% of the jobs in the Chicago region cannot be done from home. And so I think as we think about what that future state is, we have to be thinking about getting people to the places that they need to go more meaningfully, more predictably, and in a way that helps our transportation system, which is built on transportation and logistics, you know, helps make sure the goods are getting to the places that they need to go as well as the people. And so again, sort of back to that first choice, right? I make the choice to drive sometimes because I can't get home to get my kid in time or because, <laughs> you know, I know that tomorrow I've got to pick up a cake for the, for the work luncheon, right? And I can't do all of those things on transit. So it's more about thinking about the trips into the loop and, and it's less about thinking about the trips into the loop and more about thinking about how you use that system to do your everyday sort of travel and how can that help meet those needs. So I think those are really important considerations and it requires us to think about how we use our land more efficiently, you know, and, and it does require trade-offs. And I think this conversation is going to require us to think about how we use our transportation dollars to solve transportation problems, regardless of mode. Hmm. And just to take a look at this, from an integrated planning perspective, can you share some concerns if we don't address transit improvements the way we need to? And, and what do you see that potentially being the cost to the region? So I have this great benefit of having an amazing team that does modeling and data analytics for us. I had them take a look at, you know, what happens if 25% of people don't go back to transit in the way that we were previous to the pandemic. And it shows that we would experience about 192,000 hours of additional delay each weekday and about $1.2 billion in lost productivity for our region because of congestion. So, it could have continued huge impacts on the way we get around. And I, I'm already frustrated when I have to go someplace. I don't know about you all. Um, right. And, I, you know, it's fundamentally unacceptable. And I think for, for a lot of the folks in the room here, you know, we could choose to come to a luncheon. But, you know, there are a lot of people in the region that can't choose to be late to work. And I think that impacts their economic vitality, their household wealth, and all sorts of other things that are really important to making sure that we have a stable economy here in the Chicago region. Thank you. Now, uh, Jackie Grimshaw, she's Vice President for Government Affairs at the Center for Neighborhood Technology. I'd like to get your perspective on the conversation so far. And if you wouldn't mind sharing with the audience, how do you see the changes where people are working impacting transit services and their needs? What do you see as the correlation there? Thank you. Um, H.G., you know, the, this conversation is something that is uh, near and dear to my heart. <laughs> and in the sense that um, transit has been something uh, like Evadina that, you know, it's it's part of who I am. It's part of how I grew up. Uh, grew up in Chicago and Bronzeville, and we had streetcars, um, the, uh, and, uh, you know, as well as the, the train, uh, the, the elevated train, and you know, I could, it seems like I could go anywhere in the city on transit and, you know, experiencing uh, the buses as the buses came in and replaced the streetcars, uh, didn't seem like they were, you know, everything was congested, you know, in the good old days. So we've gone from that to the description that, that Aaron just gave us and, you know, the, 
the Armageddon of, <laughs> of what our models just came up with is really scary. So, um, so let me start by saying that, you know, our funding of transit is, is crucial. And that $730 million you talked about, that's not a one-time thing. No. You know, that's a, that's an annual thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a, a big funding gap that we have to address as, as, as a region. Otherwise, we might end up with that, that vision, uh, that the modelers came up with. So, so that's, you know, that's the, the, you know, like where I start from and, and the, the, the knot that's in my stomach. Now, in answer to your specific question about, uh, how, what, what difference it makes to people where jobs are and how to get there and how uh, transit is important. You know, we, um, yeah, I, I, my, my job actually is, is on the ground advocacy, talking to people who use transit and rely on transit. And, you know, the, the, the warehouse workers uh, introduce us to a guy who lives in South shore and he works in, um, the warehouses out uh, in Will County near Joliet. Um, and so, you know, that's a nice job working there. But he doesn't have a car. So he has to go on transit. So he ends up with a six-hour round trip on transit. So think about his quality of life. If he's at work for eight hours, ten hours, then have to spend 16, six hours uh, getting back and forth, he goes home, he eats, he sleeps, and he goes to bed. And if he has a family, you know, good luck with having uh, helping kids with homework or anything like that. So, you know, transit is important. And the way our, our, um, our, uh, our um, employment distribution has gone, um, you know, one of the things that we did with our research uh, at, at CNT is that we looked at where are the employment centers in the region? And how many of those employment centers have transit uh, that get that gets you there? You know, so like Will County, that's an employment center. Lots of jobs out there near Joliet. But if you're living in Chicago and you don't have a car, good luck. You know, uh, even closer to that, Oak Brook. You know, if, uh, you know, Oak Brook is, again, an area around Oak Brook is another job center. If you don't have a car... Good luck, you know, uh, six hours. I don't know how much, how long it would take on transit. Maybe not, not six hours round trip, but probably take you at least four, four and a half, five hours, uh, to get from the south side of Chicago to, to Oak Brook. And, and the reason why I say south side of Chicago is that those essential workers that Aaron was talking about, that's where they live. You know, one of the things I think the CTA and I see Veronica here can correct me on that is that the busiest bus line during the shutdown was 79th Street. You know, that's on the south side. That's where the essential workers are. Those are the people who need transit. Um, and, uh, you know, if we don't start addressing putting people at the center, like, like Representative Delgado said, you know, those people are going to be unemployed. We'll have people, you know, the, the impact on the economy with more people out of work. You know, you just think about, you know, all of these things are, are intersectional. You know, there's not just a transit problem. There's a transit problem. There's a land use problem. You know, there is an equity problem. 
you know, we, you know, I don't want to even get into the racism. You, you said complicated. It was really racist. You know, if you were around when we got these formulas, you know, um, um, it was, it was a black mayor took, uh, was the mayor of the city of Chicago and we got to make sure we keep them folks out. And that's how it came about. Right. So that's the, that's a shorthand of, of what happened. Anyway, that's a long answer to your question. No, Rather sure. convoluted, but you know, it's, it just, you know, my, yeah, I was very prepared, right? I got my notes here. <laughs> I just start going. No, I think that's that's a conversation we need to be in. Uh, I think all of you resonate with the concept of how critical transit is to the well-being and success of a community, a city. It is a lifeblood to it. And there's a lot of room for improvement to create greater circulation, greater improvement, greater health of a community with transit. And when it starts getting threatened to whether or not it can play a central role, it has many connected consequences that I feel this panel and those in the room here are not willing to happen without being aware of them and somehow find a way to find a better future forward. One thing I think in listening to what you said is we need to not just gloss over the word equity because it is getting a lot of use in the last couple of years, equity, which is great. It's good that it shows up as a word, but I've been asking myself how best to convey its meaning so that it helps us do what we need to do. So I'll just offer this is what I think of when I hear the word equity. I think of asymmetric, avoidable suffering. Asymmetric, avoidable suffering. That would not be acceptable for us in this room to deal with if, say, Table 5, because they were under that vent, started getting some problem to them. We would say, you should move. You know, get out from under that vent. But when we don't see ourselves as a family on these things, then we don't really understand what Table 5 is going through. But that concept of really pulling in equity as a, I see it as a verb also. I think we can call it a statement, you know, equity, but really it's about how are we going to approach the planning, the revitalization of transit so it's, it's taking care of this asymmetric avoidable suffering. And, and I just would like to go through the panel here and just, if you don't mind sharing how it inspires your work on these issues, uh, maybe if I'd start with you, Liam. Well, I'll just give um, a myriad of examples, and I I think you're exactly right. We can't just use it as a word to throw around. It has to actually be um, fully – it needs to be a fundamental issue that we are addressing. Um, And and to double down on Jackie, racism is is a core thing that has been sort of influencing and unfortunately sort of shaping a lot of sort of – how we got to where we are today. And I think we need to recognize that, own that, and turn that around a little bit. I will just, I'll just give one example of something that we really took very seriously as we started putting this plan together. So we're coming sort of out of our sort of COVID recovery and scenario planning that we were doing sort of at the depths of the pandemic. And Focus then moved towards a 10-year financial plan, which was the foundation for building uh, this strategic plan. And so there was a lot of um, the fare box recovery ratio and all of that was sort of baked into all of those conversations. But that's really a a lot of technical stuff that fundamentally, you know, isn't necessarily important. So the translation is that we are too reliant on fares and that has to change. That is not sustainable. But what we really 
consciously chose to do was really broaden out our engagement in our development and our conversations around developing this plan. We heard from thousands of people, worked very actively over months on end, and several people on this panel gave a lot of their time and effort to this as well. But even broader, worked very closely with hundreds of people on a bi-weekly basis to actually help us, what we thought was really just an initial engagement in sort of uh, influencing and thinking, giving us thoughts on how what the transit system needs to look like, what it needs to be for the future, really became a process of actually co-writing and co-creating this plan. So the plan that we're putting out is not the RTA's plan, it's not RTA Metro and CTA's plan, it is the region's plan. And I think the fact that we heard things that were some, in some respects hard for us to hear or we kind of knew about them or we recognise them, but we weren't tackling them. And the engagement that we got has really been fundamental. We, it's really became uh, it's a foundation for a coalition that we want to keep and maintain and continue to influence us as we continue to advocate for solving some of these problems and then holding us accountable on executing on some of those things too. So that's just one example, I think, of how we're trying to centre equity in some of our work. Mm, thank you. Um, so... I go back to the folks who I represent um, on the northwest side of the city of Chicago. I know, Jackie, you were talking about the, the south side. Um, a lot of essential workers live on the northwest side, too. Um, and when I think about the, it, the period of the COVID shutdown that we all lived through, right, um, there were a few of us who still had to be out and about, right? The essential workers had to be out and about. Um, and that's what you would see on the streets. What you would see on the streets are buses, moving people to the essential work that they needed. What kept running during COVID? Transit. Yep. Why? Because it had to. There was a, not an option there. But the people who were most impacted by that were people in communities that have the least. Um, I think about Belmont Cragen. These are folks who they rely on transit every day. This is the only way they can get around, whether it's to school, whether it's to work, whether it's to visit family. Um, and so when I think about centering people in these conversations, those are the people who I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the folks that I see every day waiting at those bus stops trying to get from point A to point B. Um, and so, again, I think we can get lost in, in some of these conversations about, you know, structure and, and, and talking about, uh, you know, processes and things like that. And I, and I know that those are necessary, so don't get me wrong. Um, but for me, it comes back every day to these individuals who may not be raising their hand and saying, I need help. But they do. They do. They need that help every day. And so... Um, Transit is such an important piece of that to me because I know the men and women who work in the transit agencies are also those essential workers. They also happen to be predominantly black and brown folks as well. Um, and so I think about that every day and every, every bit of work that I do uh, as it relates to this kind of, um, this kind of work and this, this kind of systemic change that we have to see. So, and I think I mentioned um, earlier talking about the history of how we got here. And so I'm so glad to have Jackie sitting here with me because, you know, she, she can tell you some of the history um, and some of the things that were happening um, at a time when maybe nobody was really paying that close attention or the folks who were paying attention didn't have a microphone to speak into. Um, and so I value having that history 
because only knowing that can we try to combat that in the future. Thank you. So um, I agree with what uh, Leanne and um, Representative uh, Delgado said, but let me talk about another issue of equity, and that is equity versus other modes of transportation. You know, so one of those things I experienced uh, growing up um, was that some of my classmates started to disappear. They weren't in class anymore. And so the question was, well, where, where, did, where did they go? Then discovered that they lived, as I said, I live in, in Bronzeville on the south side. Um, they lived on the other side of State Street. And uh, they got moved out because the interstate was coming through. And the interstate was coming through without us really knowing that the interstate was coming through. I mean, we didn't have any notice about it. We didn't have any meetings about it. We didn't have any communication about it. Just we got the interstate. And what did that do? Not only did it disrupt families, and not only families that left, but those of us who were left behind, who lost our friends, but it also disrupted the transit system. Uh, and so what we had, instead of buses and streetcars, now we had a great big depression in the roadway, I mean, in the, in the landscape that became the home for uh, parking lots. <laughs> you know, these cars that are supposed to be moving, this new <laughs> new fast way of getting around are now just essential parking lots because everybody wants to do it. So we have an equity issue between our our funding of transit and our funding of roadways and our funding of highways. Um we see it in terms of federal transportation legislation and allocation from the federal treasury. We see it here in terms of state government and how transit funds are distributed. We see it in how transit is funded here in the state versus how highways are funded. So unless we start to address this inequity and in funding between transit and highways, you know, we're not going to be able to achieve what Evadina and Leanne said. And I'll leave it at that. That's a great point. <laughs> well, uh, following three of you with such excellent answers, I think I'll just, <laughs> I'll echo what you said, but I think I was also thinking a little bit about sort of the equity in, in funding um, as we think about, you know, we should be solving our transportation problems with transportation dollars and not necessarily thinking about how it's roads or how it's rail or how it's bus or how it's sidewalks, but really, you know, what's the problem that we're trying to get to? And I know that there are probably a few engineers in the crowd here. You know, I think that's what engineers do best, right? It's like, well, what's the best solution? And then we need to be thinking about how we wrap around or how we develop the, the formula of resources that then can support that, that, that implementation, whether we're thinking about, you know, our transit stations and how we better connect them to sidewalks and ADA accessibility across the region, you know, but I think those inequities show up in all sorts of financial ways, you know, whether it's your travel times, whether it's your household wealth, 
Um, but if we were uh, to allow communities across our region, individual households across the region, to spend less time and spend less money on transportation and travel across our region, they'd have more money to invest in their communities, right? And so it's thinking about that and thinking about sort of what the biz- small business opportunities are then for continued growth across our region. It's just, I, I think all of that stuff goes hand in hand with what um, what my esteemed panelists were also sharing. That's a great point. I, I feel inspired, uh, you know, represent, Representative Delgado and all of you that we're here on a commitment to create a vision of health and thriving and prosperity for the future that's inclusive. The more we can invest in what that looks like together and agree and align on what that looks like, the more we can get excited about winning on this issue versus avoiding failing on this issue, which is um, that becomes the default when you don't take the time to have the inclusive dialogues to say, how could how good could this really be if we got it really right? Right. That conversation is one that leads to all kinds of creativity, brilliance, collaboration, energy that you can't get from a fear of failure conversation. Mm-hmm. And it requires leadership like this to make that happen. Uh, and also, I'm very excited that you're going down that path with this approach. Uh, we had some questions here. I want to make sure. Um, by the way, who, who took transit to get here today? All right. Round of applause, right? Let's go. All right. I took the blue line coming from, I did take a plane, uh, not my, United, uh, to get here. And then I took the blue line. That's still math. Translating. By the way, that was a life changer for me when someone said, you know, there's the blue line. And ever since I took the blue line, that's the only way I will come from O'Hare to get into Chicago. Well, you um, parking lot. <laughs> yeah. So we have a question here about land use near transit. And I think this goes to the idea of how can we imagine this being as positive as possible, right? How do we start to think about the ways to optimize land use development around transit? Like lean in to this system being a system of success and resources for us. Uh, for example, there are many L-stops that have unrelated surface parking lots around them. What can be done to push residential and commercial development at these locations? Uh, I picked up a term here that I took to the other cities I work with, ETOD, Equitable Transit Oriented Development. How can we pull this into the vision that we're crafting together? Well, you know that term started here. Yeah, it's a good one. ETLD, mm-hmm. but uh, funny you should ask. Um, <laughs> you, you know, you know one of one of the, one of the other mischief things I do is work with a group called Elevated Chicago, um, and we had as our mission exactly that is that we had this wonderful asset called a transit system, and we had. Um, People who used to live around transit, like I said, I, I grew up around it, but folks like me who grew up around transit in some communities along the blue line, for example, were being displaced and they were having, they were being displaced from their two flats and three flats and apartment buildings by mega developments and high, and high rises. And that's what gave us, you know, the whole effort towards creating equitable transit oriented development. And so Elevated took that up. 
and we work with the city, starting with the Rahm uh, Emanuel administration, continuing to the Lightfoot administration to change policies here in the city of Chicago. So we have a new ordinance in terms of what is transit-oriented development, what is equitable transit-oriented development, not only development around train stations, but we have our high-frequency bus lines like 79th Street. Uh, that and, and if you get, you know, west for the most part past Ashram, you know, you don't have trains. You know, the trains are with early development in Chicago. So, you know, all of it is to the east. And if you're living west, what's the, where's your train? You don't have one. So what you do have are the Western Express, the Ashland Express, you know, those kinds of bus lines. So they should have development as well. And what we also saw was an equities again between what was happening on the blue line, what was happening on the green line. All right, the green line going through the south side and west side, and the areas around those stations not only just had vacant parking lots, they had vacant lots, um, and, and, you know, lack of investment or a lot of disinvestment. So our, the ordinance that we worked to get passed, it took us from the end of the Rahm administration to the summer to pass the Connected Communities Ordinance. And it's go, and the idea is to address exactly what you said, HG. How do we incentivize development around the train stations where there is no development or where opportunities exist, or even where we have on the blue line where you have uh, gas stations next to parking lots? You know, no more of that kind of stuff. Get rid of curb cuts, because in order to be a transit rider, you have to be a pedestrian. If you have to be a pedestrian dodging cars going in and out, you know, it's it's not safe. So, you know, safety is something that keeps people from using transit. I, I mean, there, there's a lot of things. So, so let me shut up. I get going. But, take a uh, pause. Yeah. Just take a pause. Uh, yeah, can I just add to that first? Thank you, Jackie and Elevated, for that advocacy and that um, pulling that and getting that passed because I think um, – Erin and I can attest, we both work in the TOD space and look to actually put our money funding community and neighborhood studies and analysis, and now having that broader policy to back so it's not just um, private money developer-driven that might have just maybe a bottom-line profit margin. So we can actually... Um, um, get greater benefit from the infrastructure that we already have um, while addressing you know, equity and accessibility, broader mobility, access to jobs, and that has that sort of that ripple-on effect in terms of just the, the broader economic benefits to all of us. So having that sort of that leadership on that policy piece really allows us to continue to do lean further into that TOD mm -hmm. work in a more meaningful way too and sort of build off the infrastructure and the assets that we all have. That's excellent. Well, if, if I could just quickly, too, as we think about the rest of, you know, the, very Chicago focused, I think there's lots of benefits looking at sort of what's happening around Chicago station areas. But my region, when I say region, is 284 municipalities and seven counties. And when I talk to mayors across the region, I think there are a lot of things that they saw that were exciting that happened uh, coming out of the pandemic. Their their residents are, are home a couple days a week, right? So that supports coffee shops and complete streets activities. And whether or not they have a train station, they might have a historic downtown. And I know there are several, um, well, more than several across our region that have just, you know, who would have thought a pandemic was going to reinvigorate downtowns? Because I think a lot of planners were trying to figure out how to make that happen. But when you have a daytime population, mm -hmm. you want that safety, you want that complete street. So I think there's a lot of opportunity across our entire region. And I'm seeing people and, and mayors, uh, you know, really want to have that happen in their downtowns as well. Mm -hmm. 
And this question is a follow-on, uh, Ms. Redden. Uh, what role in the region's transit future does the one central transit hub play? Do you endorse this as well as the $6.5 billion in state tax dollars already approved by the state legislator to pay for this? So maybe for those who don't know about the central, one central transit hub, the vision and value of that. Well, I think there's... There's lots of different visions and idea project ideas out across the region. There's One Central, there's Lincoln Yards, there's many, I think, development proposals that are out there. I think from our transit perspective, I think we think they're potentially exciting and interesting. I think, though, in the grand scheme of what's more immediately on our agenda, I think we've got some more fundamental challenges that we have to uh, look at and solve first because if we don't get those things right, all the things we've been talking about today... Mm the rest of it doesn't matter. And I don't, I don't want to sound defeatist, but I think we want to avoid that, as you said, that conversation and get the, the fundamentals of the funding and the, the dozens of other sort of ideas that we have put forward in terms of how transit can change, evolve and meet the changing needs of our region. If we get those things right, then I think that becomes the foundation for a whole collection of further expansions and enhancements around our region. Let me jump in on, on that too. Um, and, and I know that the one central project is it, it's it's a reimagining, right? And I think we talk about reimagining a lot when when we talk about transit. Um, but I think it kind of shines a light on um, uh, on the idea of talking about the shiny new things, right? So the shiny new station, the shiny new uh, development, the shiny new, and people seem to forget about what's between the stations, right? the tracks that connect the trains, uh, the infrastructure that connects the buses, and then how do you continue to make that sustainable? So while I love shiny new, I mean, <laughs> who doesn't, right? Um, we can't just think about shiny new in a vacuum. We have to think about how do we continue to, to sustain the service that needs to come along with this beautiful new imagined mm-hmm. development and station. Well, you know, I, I think it's a priority, an uh, issue of priorities. You know, as we've just talked about, you know, the needs of our existing transit transit uh, uh, system that, um, you know, the shiny new, as as you say, is one thing. But um, I'd rather see those billions invested in what we have to improve it so that it is efficient, so that people become what you said at the beginning. That people is that the people are at the center, and that people choose transit as their first option. And so, until we get there, I don't think we ought to be spending money on the shiny new. Mm. My humble opinion. <laughs> uh, we're going to need to wrap up, Aaron. I just what I thought might be helpful is here is such an incredible assembly of change makers. Leave us with an inspiration, inspirational vision on what happens next in collaboration as we move forward into January and beyond. So I think moving into the new year, the legislation that Representative Delgado and and Senator Villavalam passed asking us to look at the future of transit, you know, I think we've been talking a lot about we need new funding for transit to operate. But I think one of the things that has to come along with that is something different. You know, you can't just as a restaurant owner, you know, you go to a restaurant, you have an okay meal, right? And and you're like, I don't know if I need to go back to that again. I tried it once. And the restaurant owner's like, 
no, come on back. Well, what did you do? Did you change the paint? Did you change the menu? Did you uh, go all organic or have your new desserts? Otherwise, I'm not coming back, right? So as we think about embarking on this uh, report that's due to the General Assembly over this next year, I think we need to be thinking about what fundamental shifts uh, to make our transit system better are necessary. And I know we've got a lot of folks in the crowd that will be helping us um, articulate that, but it really is about thinking differently about the interconnectedness of our system and who it serves and how it's going to grow our economy here. Please join me in thanking the panel. All right, I'm going to hand it back over to Jackie, who's running the trains today. Um, very quickly. Okay, just to close out on the vision thing, because you are leaders, you are influencers, and you do care because you're in this room today. Everyone has a postcard at their place. The QR code is the plan that we're talking about. Some of the vision that I think Aaron uh, is is hoping for, and that can really lead into the, um, the the report that has to go to the assembly. So, and if you have the time, I would encourage you to join our coalition and also join the public hearing tonight and lend your voices and your thoughts and perspectives because that's going to keep to infl- keep influence seeing the change. Thanks, Leanne. So um, I think that Leanne, Representative Delgado, and Aaron will completely understand when I say this. What were we thinking about having Jackie Grimshaw on a panel? (laughs) (laughs) I need us just to give her 10 seconds of just applause because she's so (laughs) deserves it.